hat probably carried them, but they do. You know, I have to tell you, um, I didn't have this story before this weekend. I had I had sermon done this week, and and um, we we went to Katie's aunt lives in Traverse City, and so we went up to to visit them um, for for a day and a half, and and we're. Take, they took us around to look at all the leaves, but on the car ride on the way there and in the car ride on the way home, and my son decided to go, Dad, slow down. Dad, slow down. And he, he draws out the down word instead of it being like, it, it becomes about six syllables. And, and it was slow down. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him, son, speed limit signs are debatable whether you follow them or not. Um, my wife, though, said, son, or Aaron, I'm going to agree with your son. Slow down. Um, but, I, but I've noticed sometimes there are rules or laws that, that don't really make sense. You, you hear them or you read about them, and you, you just kind of look at them and you smile because you're going, well, apparently that wasn't thought, of, thought through real well then. And so I, I found a list of state laws. Um, there were a whole lot more that I'm going to share today um, for various states that were, were kind of intriguing, and they shared um, some things, and you'll, you'll hear them, and you'll kind of chuckle, and, and I'm sure that every one of them had great purpose when they were written. So just, just a few of them for you this morning. In Alabama, it's illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. It's illegal for a driver to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. It's illegal to play dominoes on Sunday. Putting salt on a railroad track may be punishable by death. This one, I don't, I, I'll just read it and move on. In Arizona, in Tucson, it's illegal for women to wear pants. In Arkansas, a man can legally beat his wife, but not more than once a month. <laughs> in Fayetteville, it's illegal to kill any living creature. Uh, flirtation between men and women on the streets of Little Rock may result in a 30-day jail term. In Hawaii, once again, in Hawaii, it's illegal to appear in public wearing only swimming trunks. It's illegal to own a mongoose without a permit. In Kentucky, it's illegal to remarry the same man four times. <laughs> Three is okay, four is just too many. Lest you think Michigan goes unpunished, they don't. In Clawson, it's legal for a farmer to sleep with pigs, cows, horses, goats, and chickens, but not other animals. A state law stipulates that a woman's hair legally belongs to her husband. Keep that in mind. You notice my wife isn't here yet, so I can say that. You may not swear in front of women and children in the state of Michigan. Not a bad law. In Port Huron, the speed limit for ambulances is 20 miles per hour. I'm glad I don't live there if I have a health problem. And finally, under state law, dentists are officially classified as mechanics. I don't even know what to say to that one. Um, you know, we read some of these laws and we laugh about them because some of them are funny, some of them probably had a good purpose, and there were many others. Some were probably inappropriate to even share in church, and so I skipped them. Um, but it's funny, these different laws that exist, and in fact, sometimes, if, if we read the Old Testament, we assume, the assumption is, well, then that doesn't really apply to us any longer, right? Um, because in truth, if, if just the, the dress code alone, no one in here is dressed appropriately, um, 
for, for Old Testament scriptures. And so we, we often say, well, that's the Old Testament, and then this is the New Testament. And so they don't really overlap in, in some of that stuff, and it, we just kind of disregard it. Um, but then I don't know sometimes what we do with this passage this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 17 through 20. But, but I'm, I'm curious, as we look at this passage, how we begin to interpret things in light of the Old Testament because it's a continuation of the story of God's people. So this morning, as we look at these words from, from Jesus, um, we'll, be, we'll be wrestling with, what does this look like for us? How do we understand what God is trying to say, tell us this morning? And so we've been looking, if you haven't been here with us, at parts of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll continue to look at it for the next few weeks um, until we lead up to the season of Advent, which is the Christmas season. And so once we hit that season, we'll begin shifting a little bit talking about what it looks like for God to be with us. So if you'll stand with us, stand with me this morning as we read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. That was okay. You can be seated. I didn't warn you that time, so I, that's on me, I suppose. You know, this line bothers me not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Because we look at Jesus' life, and we can recognize that in some ways, he did not fulfill the law as they understood it. In fact, he was caught healing on the Sabbath. How dare he? He ate without washing his hands. It's a terrible thing. You know, I could go on and on and, and, and point out some other areas where Jesus began to do things that were against what they understood the law to be. And so we should probably spend a minute just talking about the understanding of the law. And, and it, it's interesting for us. I, just, I can't move in certain areas. Is that what it is? I'll just stay here. So when we begin to look at this text, we begin to wrestle with what, is, what does he mean by the law? What would have they understood the law to be? See, they would, we could talk about, is the law the first five books, the Torah, the Pentateuch? Is it, is it these books? Is that what they're addressing as the law, the first few books of Scripture? Is it the law as in just the Ten Commandments? Is it, is it the law as in the commandments plus all the regulations that were written? Or is it the law, all of those things, plus what the scribes had begun to write? They began to write all these rules and regulations because the, the scribes came to the place where they were convinced that there was was a way for all of life to be summarized in, in the commandments. There's a way that every aspect of life had a rule. They were convinced that everything in life was completely black and white, that there was no possibility of gray, and there was no way you could break any kind of rule or regulation. And so they made rules for their rules because they wanted to make sure that they could live a righteous life. And it doesn't take long to figure out that that's, that's probably a nearly impossible task for us to have rules for our rules so that we don't possibly break a rule. 
I'm not sure that's what God ever intended for them, and, but that became the way of life for the, for the Jews of that day. In fact, so when Jesus says, when he mentions the law, he's, he's including um, likely all of the scriptures that were known. All of what we call the Old Testament. He was including all of that in the law and saying, listen, not, not one word of that is going to disappear. Not one word of that is going to be erased. But, but the challenge is, the Pharisees of that day, they made it their life's ambition to follow every single rule that existed. Now, I have to tell you that, that they number not into the hundreds, but probably into the thousands. I can't even probably count that high without getting bored. I can't imagine trying to live your life in such a way to follow all these rules so that your righteousness would be that. You would be righteous. And Jesus almost furthers this thought by saying, listen, uh, you, you, we will not erase one word that nothing would be taken off these pages. We will continue to live in that way. But the challenge became, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by this righteousness that we would follow these laws? What does he mean? What are the things that drive that? Is it, is it we take the Ten Commandments and we apply them to our lives? Is it, is it something more than that? What, what does it mean to, to not erase, to not to live out all these laws? Can we even do that? And I'm convinced what Jesus was really saying to them was this, that at the heart of all these laws, at the heart of them all is this, that um, there's a reverence for God and there's a respect for people, for one another and yourself. But the other thing that should be apparent to us is we, we, we were able to look back on this and not have to, we read it from a little different lens and they would have heard it the first time. But no matter how many rules we put out on a piece of paper, no matter how many rules exist in the Old Testament, no matter how many rules were, were passed on through oral tradition, what became apparent again and again was that no one, that any of the Pharisees could follow them all. No one. There's just no way to follow all these rules. There was no possibility that, that your heart couldn't be hardened, that you would follow all these rules in such ways, because you can, even if you follow the rule, you would miss the heart behind the rule. And they found themselves living in these difficult ways. And, and the truth is, it's been the same since the beginning. The story of Adam and Eve was this story of two people who had this relationship with God, and it was the way it was meant to be. And yet, in that relationship, there still remained a choice for them. Choose to continue to, to, to have this covenantal relationship with God, or choose your own way. The reality is that's the, re that's the same decision we have day in and day out is choose this relationship with God or choose your own way. And, and Adam and Eve chose their own way. And then we read throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people, began to choose their own way again and again. And when our lives reflect this choosing of our own paths, our own ways, we end up in the same place again and again. We end up in places of destruction, we end up in places of despair. We end up with our life looking like it's in shambles and we're not sure what to do. But, but the Pharisees were convinced that if we just will live out all these rules, if we'll just follow all the rules that exist in Scripture, and then, then if we follow all the rules that the scribes have come up with that would help us follow those same rules, then those will have lasting eternal consequence if we live in that way. 
So what do we do with Jesus? He ate with unclean people. See, the law would have been you, you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. You could only keep people from getting worse. Well, he's out. Well, you don't put yourself in the presence of sinners because they will make you unclean, or Gentiles because they'll make you unclean. So what do we do when he ate with the people who were considered unclean? It's another one there. If we were to go and talk about his, his other uses of Scripture, he actually, and we'll talk some of, some of these passages, but, but if we were to use this passage just even on, on, on divorce, he says, you know, you've heard it said, give him a certificate of voice, but, but I say to you. He takes, he takes sayings they have, and he expands upon them, and he makes them even more difficult for us to understand. But yet he takes some of these other passages, and he says, listen, nah, we're going to throw that out. But is that what he's really saying? Is he saying that we're going to throw out these passages that these prophets have spoken, that these words that have existed throughout the centuries, throughout our generations, that they have been life-giving to the people of Israel? Are we saying that they are no longer good? He says, no, 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 we're not going to erase them. There will not be one, if we were to say it this way, there, there will not be one T uncrossed or one I undotted. It all stays. But he talks about this idea of being accomplished. What, what is he accomplishing? And in fact, this is, this is the part that they probably wouldn't even got at this moment that he would have had this teaching. That in Jesus, he fulfilled all the laws of the Old Testament. That in the kingdom of God, all the laws of the Old Testament will replace because what, what happens when you ask, what is the greatest commandment? His response is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What we see in Jesus is this shift from, from law to love. This shift from this idea that everything is defined by rules and categories. And this shift to recognizing that love lends itself to leading different kinds of lives. He doesn't, he doesn't abolish the law. He doesn't throw it out. He says, listen, I have fulfilled this law. And a new covenant we make with you. As the words read from Jeremiah this morning. A new covenant he makes with us. It's not, not to say that the, the words of the past are no good, they're no valid, that, that, that they're done. But I have fulfilled those laws because you cannot keep them. The reality is he doesn't actually limit what, what the rules look like. He doesn't change the regulations or what God's moral law might be. But he says, listen, it, it looks different because of me. In light of me, in light of what I've done, in light of what I will do, in light of what God is doing in this world, this looks so much different than it did before. And we could talk about all the rules in the world, but unless our hearts begin to be changed, it won't look different. We could tell the story of the woman who was caught in adultery and and they bring her before Jesus, and they say, what should we do? The law of Moses said to, says to stone her. In fact, Jesus doesn't, doesn't even debate that, because that's exactly what the law says. They say he starts writing in the sand, and the best, best story is, as Bill mentioned this last week, was that he started writing their sins in the sand. And we don't know what he really was doing, but, but that's a great picture. But we, what we can say is this, that he says, I tell you what, you that are without sin, 
you that have never sinned in your life, you throw that first stone. And one by one, they begin to leave, the oldest first. And all that's left is Jesus and that woman. He says, she said, he says, is there, is there no one left? No one but you. We'll go and sin no more. This is what the law begins to look like, that the law shifts. It begins to look like God's love reflected, and it begins to look in different ways because it's driven by love and not by obligation. See, all the laws of the Old Testament were to be summed up in what Jesus said, that to love God and to love others, but the challenge was that they were missing this important part, that love was no longer what defined them. Love was never what had begun to define the people, and so they found themselves living for all kinds of other things, but, but what does that mean? What, what does it mean if we can't follow the rules because our hearts haven't changed? What, does it mean that we get to do whatever we want, that, that in freedom we, we can live however we want because God has forgiven us and Jesus has made a way? Probably not at all. That's, that's not what it means either. In fact, the woman caught in adultery says, go and sin no more. Go and, and life can't keep living the same way because your life has to look different. Because when love begins to define us, when this relationship with God is defined by love, we just want to live differently. You know, I don't... Um, my son, some, some kids have a tendency to say, well, why? Well, why? You've all heard the little kid, well, why? Because I said so. Well, why? Because I love you. Because, well, why? And, and I remember babysitting one of my wife's friend's children, and I wanted to strangle the child before the day was over because it didn't matter what I said. The answer was, well, why? You know, the truth is we laugh about that, and, and my son is now, he doesn't say, the well, why? He just says, I don't want to. <laughs> At least he would rather ask the question. He just tells me he doesn't want to. Well, why? Or I don't want to. Those two questions or comments that parents hate to hear. Well, why? Well, I don't want to. Again and again, well, what? Anyway, runs through your head nonstop again and again. But the truth is what I've learned of working with, with children and with students and with adults is, is they all, it's all the same way. It doesn't matter what rule or obligation or whatever thing we have, and we, we're convinced that God wants us to live certain kinds of ways. There are things that we call sinful, and, and Jesus addresses many of those. Some we've talked about, and some we'll continue to talk about, and some you can read on your own, but... But the reality is, all of us begin to say, well, why? Why can't I do that? Why well, want to? And we put it in the guise of, well, it's about my freedom to choose. It's about, about this or it's about that. But we're really no different than those children who say, well, why? Or I don't want to. Yet what happens when we begin to see people who live lives that said, well, why? Or I don't want to. It leads to brokenness and chaos and destruction and all kinds of things that reflect the embodiment of what God isn't. Now I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm convinced when it comes to our children and our youth and our, our students that, that we need to tell them why. There's a whole generation that we told them because I said so. I gotta tell you, most of them aren't in church because, because I said so doesn't work. 
we do tell them why. And this is, this is why God says, listen, I, I want you to live this way. I want, I want you to live this way because, listen, um, to drink alcohol in excess leads to destruction to you and to your family and to those that you love. That's why. I want you not to, to become greedy because in your heart is all about the love of money and not about me because that's why. I want you to not gossip because it leads to, to broken hearts and because all of a sudden you find yourself lying to cover yourself. and That's just not a good idea. It leads to rifts in our relationships with one another and rifts in our relationship with God. That's why. But I don't want to. Fair enough. Most people don't want to. But when we begin to recognize the way in which Jesus has loved us, the way he has shaped us, the way he has molded us, and said, listen, I know what your sins are. I know where you've fallen short. I know, and as instead of throwing rocks at us, his response, unlike much of the, the Old Testament, the way they responded, not true in every situation, but is this, his response is this, that go and sin no more. Because the reality is we desire justice. We desire, we, we want people to get what they deserve. We desire consequence. We desire for this, but, but mercy, hmm, not sure I want to go there. I'm just not sure we can do that. But Jesus fulfills the law in this way that, that not in offering of sacrifices, but in mercy. Not in legalism, but in love. Not in laws, but in love which would no doubt lead to moral living. That when our relationships are defined by love, our life begins to look different. In fact, I think sometimes we forget to embody that in our lives, and we forget that, that his love is his mercy, and mercy is for us. The reason when he says the old the laws, you've heard them read, you've heard them said, and we don't desire to erase them, but they're continued on. And so, in fact, I want to I show you a quick clip um, from a movie. And I'll, I'll set up the, the scene very quickly. And, and this is from the movie Les, Les Miserables. Um, not, not the one that just came out recently, but one that was several years ago. And uh, on this clip, you're going to see a guy who's just recently broken out of prison. And he'd been invited into this home for dinner. And so here's, here's the scene that follows.
So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank and... God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Because you forget to take them. Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Sometimes we forget that what should happen, what our actions deserve, what, what others' actions deserve, God is the one who forgives them. For us to be a people who embrace mercy, for us to be a people who look at others and say, listen, you've been bought with a price, and so because you've been bought with a price, because Jesus has done all the work for us so that no longer are you defined by the laws and the regulations, but you're set free. Because it is not law over love, but it is love over law. And in that love, there comes freedom. Freedom from our past, freedom from our present, freedom from even our future. There is freedom from our transgressions. There is a freedom that we're given that this law no longer defines. Because our righteousness can never surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. It can never happen. No matter what we do, it will never be enough. But Jesus, in His infinite love for us, for us He did enough. He did enough. And we're to remember that day in and day out. And just like he says to the woman who was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. And so for us, this is the challenge. To be a people who are recognized that we have been bought with a price. That God showed us mercy when we didn't deserve mercy. And so we are to be a people of mercy that we are to offer that, much like the bishop did in this film. Because the law said this guy should go back to prison. 
The law said he got caught stealing even more, and he, got, he eventually went to prison initially for stealing a loaf of bread to feed someone. So he didn't even go for wrong reasons, but stealing this, again, for no reason, after someone showed you hospitality. So this goes back to us, that even in the midst of when we offer up our homes and our lives and our hospitality, and it's sometimes thrown back in our face and rejected, we are still to be that people of love and mercy, regardless of how many times the person runs out the door with our silver. Because there is never too much that God can forgive. And we're to embody those same traits. Because the law was powerless to free us. But in Jesus, there's a freedom that comes. That leads us back to wanting to live out that law. To wanting to live out ways that reflect his love for us, that reflect his love to God. It reflects our love to God and our, our love to one another. And that's why we live out this moralistic law. That's why we desire not to sin. We desire to not live in those kind of ways because of what God has done for us. Because he does desire mercy, not sacrifice. And we're to be that kind of a people. We're to live out the values of his kingdom. We'll be a people that can respond as the bishop did in this movie. Because the law doesn't bring freedom. Jesus brings freedom. And in that freedom, he offers us hope. We stand this morning as we pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we have gathered together in this place, that you are present here, that you desire to do transformative work in and through our lives. We're thankful that we can recognize in all aspects of life that you desire to reshape us, to mold us, to change us, to transform us. You don't desire to throw out what the Old Testament says. You desire for us to understand it so that we can recognize how inadequate we are without you. You desire for us to be a people who offer grace and mercy and love to the world around us. And so it's our hope and our prayer that we will be that kind of a people. Will you transform us into that likeness? Will you make us will you make us anew? So that we are yours. Because we know you did buy us with a price. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.